okay, well, if I sacrifice Elon Musk and I convince a whole group of people that this is for like a, a good reason, will <laughs> the morale go up? Train tracks, train tracks diagram. hundred people. Yeah. Elon Musk. <laughs> yes, and then we start the religion, and then God spoke to me, and then we have a whole thing. Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, Layla and I are talking to independent game developer Chris DeLay, best known for his work on Uplink, Darwinia, Defcon, and Prison Architect. This episode was recorded on March 24th, 2022 and was engineered by Michael Hermes. Do you want to be be on this conversation sometimes? No. no. <laughs> okay. Just like just like you did before, you know. If you want to acknowledge me, you can. Yeah. Mark's <laughs> enjoying not doing this. Oh, so much. Yeah, no, I <laughs> Actually, I always enjoy podcasts where there's like a random voice way in yeah, the back, yeah, yeah, who like, like jumps song. in like randomly for like. Does, does it like this for? Yeah, I mean like that as well. It's like behind the scenes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Makes you think they're not just floating heads. Yeah, know, that's right, that's right. There's some, yeah, I do think that. Again, we're talking about radio, you know, yep. and how it works. And yep. it grounds it, you yep. know, into there are actually other people sort of floating around. Yep. I think it's a big difference. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think it's normally, well, no, it's normally Mark's world. Mm. Like the, anything that's a television <laughs> interview or a video interview or anything like that, Mark just goes and does it. I stand behind the camera, you know. Taking pictures on the other So we don't we don't take this for granted. Yeah, it's it's just so, it's it's just very. I think it's a very different medium, like long form talking about stuff. Yeah. Compared to like sales pitch stuff. Oh sure. You know, on yep. camera. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that's why people. Uh, yeah, I try to let people know that like this is a different thing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of unusual. So for everyone who's listening, and if you feel any difference in in the <laughs> audio quality, just know that these are two different sessions of recording, uh, and the conversation was going so beautifully, and we thought that we just didn't want to stop, we didn't want to rush it, so we're back. We're in a hotel room after the IGF at GDC 2022 with Chris, and we're gonna continue. So here's where I'm going to pick up. This is where I have in notes, Prison Architect, One Mission, uh, Invisible Ink, Burgle Bros, Monaco, Gunpoint. Where did we leave off? <laughs> <laughs> ah, they, they sound, we were talking about um, subversion, weren't we, and heist games and right. things yeah. like that. We were, we're like, heist games can't work. And you're like, oh, except yeah. for this one and that yeah. one and that no, one. No, I never said heist games can't work. <laughs> I said I couldn't get my, my heist okay. game to work. Right. And... Um, and you know, prison architect was like the escape route, you know, yeah, the, out of that. the way out of that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's how that's where we got to, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think so. Like wherever you take us, I'll follow you. Well, I remember you guys were discussing all the things that were possible. Like you kept challenging him. Of, we like, were what talking about, this about like about we that? were talking about what could make a heist game successful. We were talking about Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Who did it well? I think. And you said Invisible Ink did it yeah. well for those reasons and. Gunpoint. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Gunpoint's almost perfect, actually. <laughs> Does it perfectly. But in it, by reducing the game world into a, like a 2D 
a 2D simulation, but yeah. it had that feeling of kind of um, fiddling with the systems in a building, you know? Yep. So they were, they were simulated to the level where, you know, doors and switches were connected and lights were connected and yep. those kind of computers and cameras and guards. And so, and you could mess with them. Yeah, it definitely and had the hacking part down. Definitely the hacking as well. You had that different view, didn't it? You switch into the hacking view. Yep. Yeah, it's all stuff that I, I wanted to get working in Subversion, but it, but it's it it just never quite came together. Like it's not it's, Subversion wasn't even close to being a playable game ever, yeah. despite you know probably I don't know how much full time was invested in that game, but quite a lot. Yeah. So do you still have like Subversion somewhere in your yes. head where you're like, and I'm I'm gonna go back to this when I have mm. like the perfect way to create this game. Or you're like, no, you know what? Somebody else made it. They made it better. I'm not going back there. I think, yeah, I think I think Mark would have kittens if I told him. <laughs> <laughs> if I told him we were going back to Subversion. Um, no, no, we're not going back to Subversion. Okay. Definitely not. It's it's of a, it's of a very different era, um, and I would do it very differently. Um, that sounds like I want to go back to it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Would you do it like more of a like a I would do it 2D. narrative <laughs> sure. 2D with like some narrative story? Um, I've never been a huge fan of of hinging things on narrative elements. Okay. Really, I've always I've always been I've always been a little bit uh, shy of like, creating content. Right. You know so. Because content, because any anything that's like content creation is, it takes so long to make as a small right. indie, and also, um, you know, it's only really playable once. Right. You know, so it's kind of quite low, low bang for buck. Yeah. You know? It's true. This is where yeah. we left off. You went back to Mark. Oh, actually, you told your wife. You know what? After this. Alcatraz visit. I'm gonna do Prison Architect. You went to mm. Mark. And you're like, I'm very worried. Oh, I'm gonna meet Mark now. I'm gonna tell him all of this stuff. He's gonna hate me. And you're mm. like, Oh, Mark, I have this idea. I wanna quit Subversion. I wanna do this Prison Architect idea. And Mark was very, very happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was absolutely delighted. Okay, because I think that the because I think that Prison Architect was just obviously a really good idea, even when I described it. Um, off some notes and kind of a, like some sketches and things, I, I was able to get across the idea. I think also Mark is like really interested in crime and punishment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and um, you know the the idea of prisons as a, as a a, a uh, service that society provides. You know, in mm-hmm. the same list as hospitals and schools and everything else, just another facility. Um, you know, the whole morality of it. It's just a very interesting topic. And what, as compared to Subversion, which was very much, you know, steal the diamond from mm. the laser tripwires. Right. It's cool. <laughs> but it doesn't have any kind of... It doesn't have any kind of um, fascinating thematic depth to it. It's not ambiguous. Yeah. So you would have to get that from a story or some characters. Right. But that's never really been our thing. I've never felt a huge desire to tell, like, a really specific story. Yeah. And it's only really Darwinia that even has a set of predefined levels out of all the games that we made. Right. You know, and, and even that one, I think I think even at the end of Darwinia, I kind of um had recognized that it was a really bad idea to build a game that relied on ten levels because you know, you could kind of play them in in uh I don't know, ten hours or something. Sure. And then you were done. You'd played Darwinia then. 
And, that, and that's three years of work. Right. You know, yep. <laughs> three years to create 10 hours. And I think later, when, when I did the... I remember doing the cutscenes for Prison Architects. Now, that did have some story elements. You had these... I was telling you before that we had these stories about the person who was on death row. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another chapter where there's a story, story cutscene that's kind of a fight in the showers, you know? There's like a disagreement between two brothers in prison, in right. the showers, when there are no guards looking. And they end up having a, a fight to the death. Um, and it's, this cutscene is, is kind of two minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'd worked out somewhere that it was like 400 man-hours of work, <laughs> you know, had gone into that cutscene, you know, wow. when I added up everybody that was involved. Right. Um, because there was all this bespoke music, mm-hmm. um, and there was, um, there, was a of, there was a lot of script that had been done, and Ryan had done a lot of specialist artwork for the mm-hmm. scene. And then I'd spent hours and hours um, moving the camera to just the right place to frame the picture, um, and then I'd put it all together. It was some vast, vast number of of hours of effort, you know. Right. Um, and you know, it, it's great. It works great in Prison Architect because it Prison Architect has is quite abstract, and it's nice to focus on individuals who are in your prison and kind of investigate their life. Yeah. Um, through story, and which you can't necessarily do through something more system driven. But it's you know it's it's so difficult to justify that kind of time investment on something that you know you can click the mouse button and skip the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the vignettes because that did seem like a kind of a left turn for you, for you guys. Mm. And um, you know, I think it was important because if it's just very simulation, you know, it becomes very abstract, right? And, yeah. You know, you don't you don't imagine what's really going on. You know, and so when did you guys start? Like, did was there a moment when you realized you needed these things, or was that always part of the plan? I think that we had realized that it was going to be, it was always going to be a contentious game concept, mm-hmm. and that actually a bit of humanism would do us some favors, okay. definitely. And that you know, um, in, but in the very first prototypes, the guards were a red circle and the prisoners were a blue circle, right. and it was really abstract. Yeah. Um, and the, one of the biggest breakthroughs occurred when, when we started to receive concept art from, from Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd asked him for, for some quite specific sprites that would work in the game. And he sent over a piece of concept art that kind of had like a pull-out comic strip style, almost like a thought bubble. Okay. You know, so he had this scene that was like a top-down grid. It looked a bit like how Prison Architect looks at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and it had this lovely picture... Um, on top, and it was a, it was like a movie-style close-up. It was like a frame from a comic book mm-hmm. um, of, of two prisoners fighting. Okay. Um, and they had all this detail on them, and it was a completely different art style, actually. Utterly different art style. And did you guys ask for that at all, or he had just kind of... I can't remember. I don't think so. Not really, because I think that idea only really formulated when we saw that. Right. Um, and then we, we saw that, and we just thought, that's amazing. We could... Right. So the art yeah. triggered the idea to put. Yeah, the because the because we could we could totally tell a story with that. You know, that's yeah. that's high enough quality artwork, and it's a different style. And so the, the in game artwork is actually slightly cute, mm, actually, right. yeah, sure. a bit disarming. Um, uh, but the theme is as dark as it gets. Right. You know, um, and then suddenly there's this uh, comic style which is much grittier. 
you know, and much more real. So in that first, in that first chapter when we're dealing with uh, death row, the way that we get across the heaviness of that subject is lots and lots of close-ups of the characters, you know, mm. and the, all their backstory is told in engine, in game, in this sort of weird 2D top-down grid. But, but if you didn't have the Polaroids, it wouldn't hit, it wouldn't land on any level. The yep. Polaroids make it land on a kind of emotional level, you know? Yep. So while you're creating this game, I mean, this is a huge topic here in the US and people, it's a controversial topic. And uh, people have very, very strong opinions of one thing or the other. Were you at any point, did you feel at all, at all like, you know, this is very dark, this is very heavy while researching, while creating this game, I just need to step away for a few days? Like, did you ever feel like this is really hard to kind of take on? I never, I never felt that. I never felt like the personal need to escape from it or anything like that. I did worry that um, nobody would ever want to play it. <laughs> I did well, worry. I worried that, um, you know, in America, for example, it would be so difficult to even conceive of playing a video game about prisons right. that it would be blacklisted and nobody would want to play it and it would be too in bad taste. Right. You know? But we were, always, we were always very careful not to step too far along any particular line, you know? And we were, I think we were very careful to think that as long as we, as long as we reflect some sort of reality in this game, we'll be okay, you know? If we start just taking shortcuts and making it completely unrealistic um, and just taking liberties with reality, then that's really what's going to sink the project because it's going to be indefensible, right. you know? So anything that was too outlandish can't go in this game. It has to be grounded somehow. Everything that we decide to do has to be justifiable in some level. Right. Is yeah. that part of the reason why you did so much research, I suppose? Definitely that, yeah. And because it's such a big topic, sure, of course, you know, and because as um, um, because you know because of our background, um, we just didn't really have we didn't have that much knowledge about that topic, you know, we just didn't really have any first-hand experience of that. Yep. In know? prison architect, you have an internal economy. Yes. How many meals can a prisoner have if they are not on a max security prison? How many meals can they have? Yes. Uh, that's a strange question. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like according to research. Um, I, I, I don't know. So whatever you say, I will leave you. <laughs> Do you mean in the game or in reality? In the game. Well, in the game, there's a regime. And the regime is a schedule for the day. And that's what determines when prisoners are allowed to eat and when they're allowed to... When are they allowed to eat? Well, it's up to you. So um, that's just that's give them food. The yeah, and, and also and also under your control. It, well, they won't eat because they won't be hungry. They it, so all the prisoners have an AI model which is based on the concept of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the idea is that there is a pyramid of needs in a human. It's a psychological model that that explains behavior to some extent. Um, and the idea is that at the base of the pyramid, you have your most basic functional needs of your body. Um, which is the needs for sleep and food and water. And, and then the next level up is kind of the need to uh, be, have daylight and be able to go for walks and things like that and, um, 
Build. And you said you had that, like for this like an, one hour at least in the game, right? In in the max prison, they have like one hour for exercise and yeah, daylight. but that is up to you. Um, it's, it's up this to you. So hard. Almost everything <laughs> is up to you in the game, and that's the whole premise behind the game: is that you're free to experiment um, with um, very minimal time in the yard versus lots of time in the yard, um, or anything else. And that hierarchy that exists is there because. They only get hungry at, at a certain rate. So you know, if you if you open the canteen all day long, they just will sit in there and they won't eat anything because they're you know they're not hungry. So being someone <laughs> who wants them to be in the yard, get a lot of food and sunshine, what could go mm. wrong for someone who is going to play the game the you're, way I'm telling if you're you? The, the warden is yes. too nice. What's going to go wrong for Layla? Or oh. like just who's me? Like if I want to play the game <laughs> like, oh, where I'm going to give them like sunlight and <laughs> Not necessarily like that, but more like, you know what? They need light, they need food. Yeah. Like, what can go wrong in the well, game? Some of the pri well, lots of things can go wrong. <laughs> some, of the, you know, some of the prisoners gameplay, that right? come into your prison are, are addicts. They have pre-existing addictions to alcohol or drugs, and they'll do almost anything to fulfill that addiction. Um, and then some of the people that are in your prison will exploit that and find ways to import contraband, drugs or alcohol, that they can sell to those people. And when that process goes wrong, those individuals get increasingly upset and start to experience withdrawal symptoms and eventually start fighting each other or attacking your guards and becoming aggressive. And so if you have a prison that is completely hands-off and free-form and you're giving the prisoners everything they could ever want, well, you're not giving them everything they could ever want because they have an addiction that can't be satisfied by any legitimate means. So in the game, if they have an addiction and I kind of like try to treat them, mm. is that a thing? Yes. Okay. So you can, run a, you can run a drugs rehabilitation program. In fact, there are several options for treating addictions. Um, you can run a rehab program, which is sort of like a medical methadone-based substitution for prisoners that you know are addicts. Um, it's very expensive to run. Uh, so it just all costs money. Yeah. Um, and it does. It only has a certain success rate. Um, there's also, we were talking about the spiritual route, about um, building chapels and the like. It's another way to um, take away the desire to, you know, obliterate their consciousness <laughs> um, through, an, through a spiritual route. Um, and then there's also like the hard clamp down, um, you know, daily searches of every prisoner's cell top to bottom so that there is no contraband anywhere because you're constantly turning over everyone's cell looking for everything, searching every prisoner. Um, and when you do that, that brings like the happiness? Or no, like the it brings a, a lot of prisoners who go into extreme withdrawal. And because they can no longer get the drugs that they were relying on to um, keep their addiction going. So they go into withdrawal and they manifest as extremely unwell for quite a long time. They go into hard, uh, cold turkey, if you're successful, <laughs> in inverted commas. Um, and then the medical process. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as I'm back home... Yeah, I'm just gonna have to play this game. I might yeah. cry. There's a lot. There's a and lot. Text you like this is just. <laughs> like, just yeah, there's. But a... like, I cannot wait to see how like you know like it has an answer to every like single thing, from a narrative 
So I, I write the narrative for Old World, right? Like, and, and, and I try to think of every single thing. Like, well, what if a ruler does this? Oh, well, there's an answer. What if, uh, you know, he, he cheats on you? Uh, there's an answer. So uh, I, I cannot wait to go back and play this game hmm. uh, and see, like, you know, all the emotional triggers. Uh, and, you know, it, it just... Um, yeah, you'll have to let us know how you get along with it. Definitely. And it's a, it's a big, complex game. And you can be playing for... You can be playing for... Uh, 10 hours before you get your first addicts arrive at the prison. You, you've you know? <laughs> triggered me. Like, this is the thing. I lived, like, in a shelter for two years, being, like, a, uh, in Lebanon, and, you know, like a kid in, in the middle of a war and all of, all of those sounds. So I want to play your games for different reasons. I've never been mm. in prison. I'm not aspiring to be in prison. <laughs> but um, but I'd like... I, I, it means a lot to me. Like, when, when people go... When they make a mistake or something and then go, they go in a prison and the way we handle prison here in the United States is such a, it's such a controversial thing. And I feel like a game can help me understand. You, you talked a little bit previously on a different day, three days ago, which feels like three years ago now, um, about how like people who played your game filled a survey and then they talked about their awareness, right? Yeah, definitely. So I feel like this is how I want to learn about things. Yeah, that's a good question. Is there any, has there anything been like that been done? I mean, these type of the, the study you talked about with DEF CON, that's kind of rare, right? Mm, I think really, so, yeah. It'd be really interesting to know what, how prison architect affects people's thoughts on prison because yeah. it's much more pointed on a much more, you know... To some extent, nuclear war is somewhat abstract. Yeah. You know, where prison is, is very, <laughs> very uh, real. You know? Yeah, I don't think there's been equivalent level studies. Um, in, can, you, can you think of anything in that? I think it was used to teach like some sort of public policy around prisons. Is it really? I think a little bit. Yeah, just kind of have a Google. Yeah. yeah. yeah By the way, in the background, we have Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah. The, um, because I'm curious that... Um, you know, for a lot of people, I mean, I have to say, this myself, I don't think I know anyone who's ever been in prison, mm. right, period. Like, I couldn't name a single person I know who's been in prison. There may be someone who was in prison and doesn't talk about it. I mean, that's certainly possible. Yeah. But, you know, I've been, you know, I'm in my 40s. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of people like me. And then, obviously, there's a huge portion of society where they know lots of people who have been in prison. Yes. Right? So, it's this major part of the world, but for a lot of people, they really know basically only what they see in the movies, right? Well, here in the and, U.S., people can get in prison for smoking weed, mm. right? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, right. That, yes. fortunately, so, that's, fortunately, that's gone down some, but like... Um, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's a 4% incarceration rate, isn't it, in, in the USA? Yeah, it's crazy. So, like, this yeah. this conversation is making me, like, want to go right to prisoners. Mm. Like, I've been feeling it, like, last time we talked and this time. And this is starting from when I first came to the U.S. I was a student. It's kind of, like, super gullible. And this lady's like, you know, my kid, he's 17. He's in prison. Can you please write to him? And I said, of course. And I started writing letters. Hey, hello, I'm an immigrant. Um, I am here in the U.S. And I hope you are okay in prison. And I write a letter and she sends me back a letter from him to me. And I didn't connect because like, I was just doing some kind of act of kindness to her without any connection to him mm -hmm. or you mm -hmm. know, to, her, to her kid. And now it's so weird. Like having this conversation is bringing me back to this conversation, to this like memory of her kid being in prison for a reason I do not remember. I do not know why I didn't acquire more. I'm just being nice writing to this kid. 
Um, and now I feel like I want to play this game and I want I want to do more. Mm. So odd, mm. and it's kind of good. Yeah. Right, so it means it means a game has had an effect on you, right? It's made Already? you think about a topic. Because I think that we definitely had a fair share of people who who expressed an opinion that no game should be about prisons. Right. Because um, that was just sure. too horrible a topic and how dare you profiteer, you know. And, you know, we we are we were conscious right from the start that we were, you know, for middle-class white guys living in London, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we've never stepped foot in a prison other than Alcatraz. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our knowledge came from watching TV shows and movies and things before we did any research. Um, and, you know, I think that we, we made a lot of effort um, to think very carefully um, about all of these topics, but also as a statement of intent, we're going to deal with all of them. Yeah. Right? We're going to deal with um, capital punishment, death row, and addiction, and um, all of that. Did your um, uh, Did your community appreciate that? Like, how did that actually? Well, we, we sometimes some things are out of your hands. We weren't one hundred percent successful. You know, we weren't. Mm -hmm. We never intended it to be a game about American prisons. Sure. Um, and it isn't a game about American prisons. Right. But that is the prevailing opinion. And after a certain point, you have to accept that, that that's, what people that's just the truth. You yeah. know, it's because of the orange jumpsuits <laughs> and the jail bars and stuff. To me, yeah. that was based on the archetypal myth of what a jail looks like. Yeah. You know, sure. the jumpsuits and the jail bars slamming shut and things like that. Um, but that made everyone convinced it was set in America. Um, and the first chapter is about death row. And that also narrows it down um, to a quite a small list of countries, um, you know. But that was that was never intentional. And I think we made we made other mistakes as well, just silly mistakes. Um, and there was there was more than one article criticizing our approach to things like race in the game as well, mm -hmm. um, where we had failed to deal with race um, and we'd failed to represent racial dynamics in the right. game in any sort of system way, because obviously everything in the game is system-driven, simulation-driven, sure. and there, are, there is data behind all of that, and there is information. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's, um, it's an incredibly difficult topic to deal with. Yeah. Um, and we, did, we never really solved that. We, did we you try, or was it almost like you'd, you'd, been, you'd bit off a lot already, so you were... We, we decided that... Um, uh, uh, skin color and race in the game would be randomized. Okay. That was the conclusion we came to, and that it would it would just be randomized, and this would be a prison that existed out of any particular country or society. Right. It would be a generalized thing, and there wouldn't be any difference between any race or skin color in the right. game. And there wouldn't be any sense of, of gangs that are of different races. There are gangs, and they are in the game. Right. Um, and, but they don't really correlate to anything close yeah. to the kind of race issues that you would see in a country. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's one stance. Yeah. And it is, I, could, I could sit here and talk about it, and there's another whole stance that we could have taken on. You know, we could have gone about it very differently, but that it's, was the way we did it. It's tough when you're... Yeah. This reminds me a bit of when we added religion to Civ, uh, Civilization Four. Yeah. Because it was a very abstract thing before then. It was, it was basically just there was something called a temple and there was something called a cathedral and that right. was religion. It made people happy, right? It was, yeah. it was essentially Karl Marx's idea of religion, right? Well, I can um, remember in Civilization One 
when you when you finally had a revolution and and progressed to democracy, corruption went to zero. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, yeah. You know, it was a broad brush. That's, a, that's an interesting. <laughs> let's discuss Maybe. that, Sid Meier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure everything holds up so well. Yeah. Whereas uh, if you went to communism or something, yeah. you ended up with all kinds of negative effects on your population. Didn't you? And I thought, <laughs> I was, wonder if a Western game designer came up with a, this. Yeah, it was a game of the time. <laughs> but yeah. that was of a different era, and I feel like if you did that now, that would be difficult to justify. Sure, actually. Sure. Yeah. I agree. Um, well, you wouldn't even necessarily think along those terms, right? Like he made it before the Soviet Union collapsed, yeah. like right then. But but what I was trying to get at is that you know we had civilization in the game. It was kind of controversial because, well, for what Fraxis is definitely a more conservative company. You know, you mm. guys were concerned, but Fraxis is definitely more conservative than, than you guys were. So convincing them to put religion in the game, where it's like, okay, we're going to have Buddhism, we're going to have Islam, we're going to have Christianity, we're going to have whatever. Mm. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I just made the thing. It's like, okay, well, we're going to put them in, but they're not going to have any any traits, any categorization, any bonuses, any penalties, any whatever. Mm. Right. Like Christianity is going to be the exact same as Islam. It's going to be the exact same as Judaism. It's going to be the exact same as Confucianism. And yeah. obviously, I'm erasing a ton of history there. That's right. You know, and it's sort of a ridiculous thing to do, but it still has a purpose in the game like yeah. because it, it spreads and it, it creates conflict between nations even though essentially they're just different colors mm. so it wasn't it wasn't useless but we just had to put you know so, we had to make some decision early on yeah that made us comfortable you took with, the same solution as us basically yeah, right which yeah. is which is to which is just to make it an abstract concept because yeah. i think the first civilization dared to give different levels of aggressiveness and warlikeness to different cultures right. um, which is pretty controversial stuff sure um um, and you know the the idea of encoding different behaviors into prison architect based on the race of the prisoner yeah. really sat very wrongly with us. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think we would have found that hard. Um, but I seem to remember there was a very in depth Vice article about sure. how um, in refusing to deal with race we had actually um, profoundly let ourselves down or something and. You know, and it, it was hard to read because you read it and you go, yeah, you, we, yeah. we have kind of failed to deal with that topic, you know? Yeah, I mean, there, I think But how, how do you deal with that topic? I don't know. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, like, for people who don't know me, I'm Middle Eastern, uh, I'm from a different race, and there are some things you cannot just solve in gameplay. Like, um,. Or even if you can, it sounds like it's as big like, of a problem as prison architect itself. Yeah, how right? do you represent mm. that these are actually racial issues or sub-racial issues? Like these are very, very, very difficult things to solve in a gameplay, especially when you are giving the player agency. It's just kind of like very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we imagined lots of nightmare scenarios as well where you could enact all kinds of horrible scenarios in prison architects we've given you this freedom right um and and i think you know ultimately i think you know i don't know how to solve it that, that's the truth i don't look back at it and think oh i wish we'd done it this way i can't see a good answer actually um and i think that what we did was um uh pretty pretty good way pretty good way to approach it i think and we dealt with so many issues that felt like that they felt like oh this is this is going to be a tricky issue yeah. You know? How are we going to deal with this? And um, and then we thought about it for ages, and we looked at it from different angles, and then we figured out how to turn that into 
a gameplay mechanic and also a, an interesting uh, dis- decision for the for the player to make. Yeah. You know, because you know it's it is still a game at yeah. the end of the day, isn't S- it? Speaking of the game part, I have a good question because um, you know this. You know, it's a very unusual game, but it is in a genre, right? Like there mm. are a lot of management games, and they, you know, it has yeah. something that all those games have, which is is really interesting because it's in the context of a, of a prison. Like there is, a, you're a bank account up at the top, right? And That's it tells right. you That's how right. much yeah. money you're making and the money coming in and money coming mm. out. And a lot of people, you know, I think it's it's. It's a good statement because people aren't supposed to think of prisons that way. But you know, like that's yeah. Well, that's well, you you are, you are cast as a private prison company, yep. so that that element is there, and the, and yeah. the cash is very much framed. You can't buy a bigger house to live in or yeah. gold shoes or anything. Yeah. It's it's more like the money and the cash flow are very much about what can you afford to do to your prison. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. so. Here's the thing that's interesting to me because it's it's just a almost like a necessary part if the game's gonna have any gameplay. Right, like without that's right. cash, yeah. yeah. Like, how would the game even work? Right, mm. ultimately, like there would be no. I mean, I, I don't. You know, like the, you'd have to have some sort of limitation. Yeah, we can we can postulate, but it's it's still a very straightforward way to do it. But as soon as you do that, then most people, not most people, I don't know. You can definitely play tycoon games with a basically approach of like, well, the best way to play is whatever gets me the most money. Mm. Right. So presumably, there must be people who play. So the prison. theory is like. At the end of the day, how am I saving money in my prison? Um, well, you would... I mean, you can get more money by filling your prison with the most dangerous maximum security prisoners. Right. Because they, the, the, daily, the daily state fee given to you to, to house those prisoners is, is higher. Yeah. Um, do they have a backstory? They do. They have their, when they arrive at prison, they already have a fully developed... Um, uh, they have a family predefined already that will come and visit them if you have visitation, and they have their criminal record, um, and they have um, behind all of that, hidden away behind the scenes, they have a deeper level of character traits, um, and some of them have sort of. Do you have like lack of empathy? Yeah. So some of, some of them have. So that's that's right. So so the character traits can be things like that. Some of them some of them can be borderline. Um, sociopathic or violent right. or whatever um and i think behind that there's another level again which is their um like their skill levels like how intelligent they are how strong they are um how fast they are things like that you know and it's like there's, there's different levels behind each prisoner um and so if they arrive at your prison you can look at their log and it will tell you that they've been arrested and they've been charged with uh um Fraud, four cases of fraud, you know, something like that, bank fraud. Yeah. And then their traits will all be that they're uh, very intelligent, um, uh, perhaps slightly cold, you know, non-violent, <laughs> you know. And then behind that, there'll be like a very high intelligence and education level or something. And it's just like a completely different type of prisoner than perhaps, you yeah. know, a violent gang member or something. Yeah. Um, but you don't have access to all that information. And actually, their their criminal log as well. Um, How proud are you of this game? Oh, we're incredibly proud of the game. Good. Of course, we are. 
I'm proud yeah. of it and I have nothing to do with it. I'm just listening <laughs> to you talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest game project we ever worked on. Yeah. You know, it was it's the, like, it's it's the... like I'm asking you questions like, have you thought of that? And, uh, yeah. and, and the answers, I'm so humbled. I'm just going to go play it. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I haven't played it already. What I, what I, what I want to ask about the budget is, so if you, have a, mm. you know, if you have a dollar figure and you can make choices that you know make it go up or you do the drug rehabilitation program, which maybe is make it go down. It's not very the best way you do your money. But there's going to be players, I presume, who their goal is simply, I want to make the most money possible in Prison Architect. Because that's, yeah. the, that's the number I see. That's how I'm going to play. And presumably, just because water finds a crack, right? Like, players are going to figure out, this is the, this is the way to play if you want to make the most money. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that is a statement. Like, it, yeah. it, it, you know, it, it's, it's a statement that comes up out of like a thousand little decisions you make. Mm. So it may be not like, this, was, this wasn't the statement I intended to make. But, like, you're I don't, I don't think so because I think that you there's not a lot that you can do if you if you become like a billionaire in the game. Right. Th- there's, there's, no, there's no particular. You point can to sell that. your prison at the end. There's right. an exit strategy where you, where you can say I've had and it's like from a gameplay mechanic you're saying I've had enough of this game. Yeah. I'm going to sell this prison and then when you start a brand new prison in a brand new plot of land with dirt and desert and a road and nothing else. Right. You have a much bigger starting bank balance. Right. So you can immediately get on the process of building a much bigger, more ambitious prison. And that's the only... Capitalist um, answer. That, that's the only good thing that you can do with, the, with your winnings. And right. if you do take on those um, higher security prisoners that give you all that extra pay, you take on a whole bunch of extra challenges and risks. Right. And, you, and it can go very catastrophically wrong. So we have seen prisons where people have made a lot of profit by bringing in the lowest security prisoners and actually having a really lovely establishment and, um, and making a lot of money from that. Um, and there are, there are ways to make money in the game, but they all bring with them challenges and dangers and things that can go wrong. So if you are playing it purely with the intention of making as much money as possible, you know, there are these failure conditions that you can reach where, where um, your prison goes into an uncontrolled riot, for example, if you haven't if your prisoners have reached a point when they're incredibly angry and frustrated and the living conditions are awful and critically your security is not sufficient, a riot can break out. Right. And then it starts to cost a lot of money to repair the damage and look after everyone and, and, and bring that riot back under control. And if that doesn't work, the National Guard end up being called in okay. to re-secure. And that comes from me listening to the... Um, audio documentary that they give you when you go around Alcatraz and they were talking about how there'd been a fairly yep. major loss, mm-hmm. of, loss of security at Alcatraz and they'd ended up sending the National Guard in by helicopters to yep. storm the building. Um, so there isn't really a uh, min-max route to this is how to make loads right. of profit. So you can maximize... Yeah. I, can, okay, I can see where... So some games, if you're able to maximize profit, you actually can get your game to like a steady state where it's, yeah. you're also getting stability. And in yeah. this architect, it's sort of the opposite. Well, I did see one YouTube video from one incredibly perverse person who I think had been sure. playing the game for about 200 hours. Yeah. And he just had some... He spotted some imbalance in the yeah. costings of things. And um, he created a new prison. And he rushed the research program all the way through until he could do forestation. Mm-hmm. And forestation is where you can, you can plant your prisoners. Your, your prisoners can plant tree saplings. Mm-hmm. And then they grow around the edge of your prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can cut the trees down. And then they go to the workshop where they're chopped up into wood and then turned into like high-quality furniture. 
And it's one of the sort of rehabilitation programs right. because your prisoners learn all this amazing carpentry skills, which is like a higher tier of skill than like manual, manual stamping of like number plates that we we're talking about. Right. But you bring in all this extra danger because all this wood everywhere is dangerous and they can make weapons out of it. And the, the trees that grow around the edge of your prison become escape routes because mm. people can climb trees and go over the walls and stuff. It makes it easier. Um, and somebody figured out that they didn't need a prison. Okay. Oh, sure. <laughs> that all they had to do was hire a handful of gardeners, paid for gardeners, mm. and buy a load of tree seeds. Uh -huh. And so they planted a load of trees in this little patch. And then they waited, and then when they grew, they cut them all down and sold the lumber and made more profit than they should have done because there was a bit of an imbalance. Yeah. Right, because there's only so many hours in the day, if I'm honest. What is the name of that YouTuber, and where does he live? I can't remember that. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then he, he rinsed and repeated each time bigger than the last. Sure. Yeah, well, so, as soon as so, you find something that's N plus one. Yeah. Just, yeah. So he expanded and expanded and expanded, and he ended up with exponential growth. And his prison ended up just being like this vast forest yep. that would then be decimated by being cut down <laughs> yep. and then it'd be planted again and he was essentially able to generate infinite money yeah. well, that because there was no check and balance on it because there were no prisoners yeah. there to to wreck that system that's, that's reality you know? well, like, that's reality yeah right? he figured out that a lumber yard was more profitable than a prison <laughs> well maybe that's a lesson <laughs> which right tells there. me that uh, you are being yeah. paid too much for the for the lumber actually as <laughs> a design choice yeah because yeah. it's too easy right yeah Interesting stuff, though. It's a really interesting corner case, you know. Yep, yeah. So, mm. how would you play prison architect? Me personally? Yeah. Um, I always go a little bit down the middle, if I'm honestly honest. Mm -hmm. um, I always, I always, don't, don't try and extract from this <laughs> any, any strongly held political opinion on how prisoners should be run in the real world, but in the game, I try and run, I would try and run a prison, whenever I played it, I tried to run a prison that was a not too much of I didn't have guys walking around with shotguns up and down you know the aisles threatening everyone and I had plenty of education programs running because they led to other ways to raise money in your prison and they led to um, improvements in your prisoners I always ran visitation um, because it was a good way to bring it was a cheap way to bring um, happiness to your prisoners and um, I always had televisions in cells, for example. Mm. So there was a period, we had this discussion with that ex-prisoner that I was telling you about, where um, the politicians in the UK, had, this is a genuine, had decided that prisoners shouldn't have televisions because this was a luxury that yeah. they didn't deserve. Classic sort of um, punishment thinking on the spectrum of what you can do. Yeah. And so the televisions were all removed in this prison. Um, and what they hadn't done is consulted anybody that worked in the prison who said that the televisions are a brilliant, brilliant uh, way to keep prisoners entertained and happy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And also, slightly darker than that, a, a constantly running threat that um, the oh, first thing that's going right. to yeah. happen to you is wow. your television will be taken away. Yeah, sure. Um, and that, that was enough, yeah. actually. And, that, and those two sides... Um, were a wonderful balance, balancing force yeah. in both directions. Um, and um, so everything got worse when they took the televisions away. So I always have the televisions in the cells. Right. And not because I'm a wonderful person, but because, you know, yeah. it, it, it gives you the, all these benefits. You yeah. know? And I think that was what was interesting about Prison Architect was, was exploring that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So for a noob, how should mm. I play Prison Architect? 
Um, remember to build a fence. Fence. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of new players don't build a fence. Mm. And um, they just build a series of buildings. And the prisoners roll up. And then as soon as they go to the yard, they, they recognize there's no fence. Yeah. And they run away. And so you learn quick. Yeah, that, so, um, that, that happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's yeah, kind of sure. a conscious decision. <laughs> Why? You didn't think well, of that? Well, I was that. just thinking about it. There's a building and like, you know, it's like, well, they'll walk to the building, right? But, you know, they just kind of walk. You've got to get the player out of this mindset, you see. In a, in a, in a normal game, this wouldn't happen. Right. But this is a game about prisons. Everyone, build a fence. Yeah, this is a game about prisons. So I could have, I could have put a message on the screen saying, build a fence. So, the, so what better way for the player to learn that lesson than to have a, a mass escape event? Yeah. Which they just go, you know, they immediately realize the, the, uh, their mistake yeah, yeah. and uh, they start again and then they build a fence. And now you know why there's a fence around prisons. And, nice. that, that, <laughs> and that same rule continues all the way to every level of the game. Yeah. So, Chris, how was the game received? Um, so, Prison Architect, Prison Architect was our, um, immediately our best-selling game. Definitely. It was an immediate success. Um, and we were stunned stunned by how successful it was because we launched it in um in early access uh, no we didn't we launched it as an alpha slightly before early access was a thing on steam yep. and so we had our own alpha version um so it, it wasn't finished it didn't have functioning riot guards i don't think it had functioning combat it didn't have a lot of this really in-depth uh, psychological model that we've been discussing it just didn't exist then but it had the the, the core of the game was there um, and um, people seem to love it, yep. you know. And then we we started we settled into this cycle of of doing doing regular updates, mm -hmm. and um, and that seemed to work very well for us as well because we were able to just layer in system after system, you know, each one building on all the previous systems, um, and um, every time we every time we uh, added more stuff to the game seemed to get a lot of coverage and a lot more sales and it just seemed to go from strength to strength. Right. Um, and then I think around Alpha 10, after sort of an eight, eight or nine months or something, I think that's when it went on to Steam's early access program. Does that sound about right mm -hmm. to you? Mm -hmm. now, what, Valve, what year was that? 2015, mm -hmm. possibly. Maybe 2015, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Valve, Valve were just, again, just thinking about what, what was happening in the industry. And at that point, Minecraft had been in alpha for a long time and it had been very successful. Right. And other games as well had shown that you could come out in a very unfinished state um, and uh, people would happily uh, uh, pay to play that and then, and then they would enjoy the process of actually receiving updates and, being, and they would start to feel like they're involved in the process as well. Sure, yeah. Um, and that, that was another huge um, sales metric, so... Yeah, it's still to our day. To this day, it's you know it's our biggest selling game. I think it's I think it's sold uh, four four million units by the right. time we were finished with it. Yeah. You know? What did updates, DLCs, expansion look like for you know, um, architect? We kept we just kept exploring every system that we could think of that might be relevant to a prison, and so some months we would spend a lot of time looking at um, tunnel digging, for example. Other months we dedicated to fire and fire control and fire suppression and calling in the fire brigade. And um, other months we looked at uh, victory conditions and failure conditions. And then other times we looked at addiction. And we had some updates that were added. We had an update that added multiplayer to the game, 
So you could do cooperative multiplayer, so you can uh, team up with your friends and build a prison together. Um, yeah, it was just it was a whole whole process of adding adding things to the game until we felt like every element of the game was covered. You know? What was your like interaction with the community like? Like how how active were you and like you know, where did you go where, to Where's your to community? See? Well, we were pretty active. We had a, we had forums for the game. Um, and we had Steam forums eventually as well. I mean, we kept our eye on Twitter. Um, and we had an enormous bug database as well. So people who are playing the game would actually submit bug reports to us. And mm -hmm. that became our way of figuring out what was really broken and uh, what needed urgent attention. Yeah. Um, and we often ran, um, we ran a few um, polls questionnaires to say like which, which which would be which feature would you most like to see in the game right but if i'm brutally honest we often worded them in a certain way that we kind of knew that answer b would be chosen because sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of what we really wanted to do next right, right. but we're just checking you know yeah, we're sure, just making sure yeah um but we were always careful whenever we did our youtube videos we always did a video as well once a month where me and mark would play the game mm -hmm. and i would show the new features to mark and we would talk about it, and we would talk about it all the way from the gameplay mechanics to the real-world implications. And they ended up being kind of 45 minutes long each, right. these things. Um, and then um, and then we would start on the next set of updates. Yeah. You know? yeah. Hmm. Uh, so after Prison Architect, yeah. what happened? Um... So what happened to Prison Architect is we we started we started looking around for the next game project and we kind of went into a fairly long period of not really being sure what we were making and trying quite a lot of different things. So um, we did some experiments where we made some tech demos and we'd made a couple of tech demos and one of them was um, a kind of weird cave exploration game where you, where it was pitch black, and um, and you could scan the walls with this kind of laser scanner, um, and it would build like a three D mesh of the environment around you, made of made of dots. You know, it's like a lidar scanner. If you've ever seen lidar scans of the inside of a cave, mm -hmm. sort of looked like that, um, and it was very abstract and weird. Um, and very atmospheric and a little bit scary as well as a little bit borderline of a horror game because um, you couldn't see anything you know but you could hear the cave that you were in mm -hmm. and you were completely alone as well um, and we also made another project that was a bomb defusal game where you would play a series of um, intricate electrical electrically designed puzzles you know mm -hmm. that were that were bombs with timers on them and you would diffuse them and i kind of wanted to recreate that feeling of in the movies you know when um the character has to figure out whether it's the red wire or the blue wire or right. whatever and which one to cut you know but they, they would they, they would get increasingly complex you know these these bombs um and i think that was all we tried wasn't it at the time those were the first two um and so and then we took we took those prototypes um, and showed them off at some games conferences and stuff. Um, and I think that the bomb game was better received. So we decided we'd make the cave game. 
<laughs> yeah, he's got a great process. <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Listen, listen yeah. to these guys, folks. Because I've got to tell you, you know, it's easier to explain a bomb defusal game as well. We had a we had a prototype level that was like someone set on the London Underground, you know, uh, and there was just this suitcase yeah. on it on the chair, and it was beeping, you know, and yeah. and then. And then, so you would go and look at it, and it's beeping away in a slightly ominous way, and there's yeah. kind of ominous music playing. And so you would go like, and unhook the suitcase lid, and then you'd open it, and it would explode in your face, right? And you would learn your first lesson, don't open the lid. Right? And your process, your, your challenge was to defuse this uh, bomb, you know, successfully, <laughs> without triggering any of the um, tripwires. And it had a mobile phone in it that would ring every now and then, and it was all kinds of complex puzzle stuff. But it was... It's very content driven, the yeah. idea. You know, we knew that we were going to have to make a whole series of really intricate puzzles by what, hand. Is that what yeah. scared you away from it and led to the... No. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't scared away from it. In, in all honesty, I thought that, that we were going to make both games, actually. Oh, okay. In, and I actually thought it was just an ordering. Okay. Um, but I was really drawn to this uh, cave game. I was really drawn to doing something that was utterly different to Prison Architect. Sure. Um, right. And I'd started to get really burnt out towards the end of Prison Architect, actually. Mm. Having worked on it for six years straight, I started sure. to feel um, quite miserable on a pretty regular basis. Um, and I think Mark had two, if I'm not mistaken. We definitely had a had one of our alpha videos where we were both talking about <laughs> how... how uh, how miserable we are. <laughs> and, you had you um, built your own type of prison. If yeah, you will. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, and then we got an, we got an addicted to a, a cycle of updates once a month, and a, that you know permeated our entire lives. Really. Sure. Yeah. Um, like everything else around your life would have been warped around that, right? Yeah, but we'd also done a lot of the stuff from the notebooks, you know, um, and um, you know we were, we weren't really sure how far we could take this game. Um, you know, and I was definitely getting itchy feet and starting to feel like it was time to move on. Um, so, you know, um, what became Scanner Samba, uh, the cave game, is about as far as you can get. You know, if you were to draw a diagram, a Venn diagram of every video game type ever made, uh -huh. <laughs> it's probably the furthest distance away. You know, a, right. a first-person cave exploration horror game. Um, and the idea, it, it, was, it was based on this concept that I had, that I could manifest the idea of being brutally depressed uh -huh. in a video game, okay. <laughs> you know, and that you would start at the, at the lowest point in this cave network, uh -huh. but you're alone and you can't see anything and you don't really know where you are. And all you really have to do is try to get out, uh -huh. you know, and, and it's very cold feeling game to play and um, there's no warmth in it whatsoever it's a very um it's a very dark experience <laughs> no pun intended um and it's supposed to be you know um because it, it really is how i was feeling at the time right and it, and, it, and so you gradually emerge out of this cave network you know and you start to see sunlight coming through occasionally you know and you and you make it out you know and and um and and but you you don't really you don't really escape this cave <laughs> that you're trapped in because the, you just go back to the beginning you go all the way back down to the bottom again and the game just begins again mm -hmm. and i kind of felt like that was the that was the best um 
ham-fisted <laughs> attempt that I could make to personify how I felt of just being trapped in this kind of cycle of like, I'm feeling better, I'm feeling better, I'm feeling better. No, no, I'm actually, I'm all the way down again at the bottom. Sure. You know, and there is, you know, no exit from this. Yeah. You know? What inspired this game? Well, it's like, like I say, it's, it's, it came from, it's, it's actual mechanical inspiration, it's visual inspiration came from um, LiDAR imagery, which is a slightly odd thing to say. But it's like, the, if you ever, if you Google LiDAR imagery, you'll find a whole bunch of laser scans of cities and things. And it just has a wonderful kind of rainbow style color scheme to it. You know, imagine like a black image with a rainbow pattern of a million dots in 3D space, covering the surface of a lot of buildings and cars and trees and things. It just looks incredibly strange and otherworldly, I know. What inspired game design in you uh, for that idea? For that game? Yeah. I don't, I don't really know. It's like, um, it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little design in the back of one of my notebooks. And, it's, and it was, um, it had some god-awful name in the notebook, like, I think it was called A Cave Beyond Reason or something, mm. <laughs> which is some Vulcan proverb, isn't it? <laughs> You know, and it was based on this idea of this psychological concept of the cave, mm -hmm. you know, that you vanish into um, and come out as a different person. Um, and it's like some part of you that exists internally. And I just, you know, it's, and it was this, and it was this idea that you, um, you would explore this cave and you, it would just be, you would just be trying to escape, but that you would ultimately learn that it wasn't possible to ever really escape from right. this, you know? Um, how well does this game sell? Suffice to say, it bombed hard. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Suffice to say, it was. I was trying to look it up. It steam's down. So <laughs> sale. Yeah. Well, the steam data is down. Yeah. Maybe just to feel a little more advertising. Maybe when we got it over maybe, the. Maybe six copies. Yeah. It was a hard sell. I mean, it's tough because like. It's niche. It's niche. very niche. niche. It was niche of a niche. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, games. Games are good at conveying emotional states yeah. right yeah and it sounds like you effectively conveyed i think emotional it did state. i think it did apart in part because of the like astonishing audio work that's in the game mm -hmm. as well because the visuals are very stark and the, the visuals are a lovely you know if we're going to talk technical it's actually a really lovely shortcut because the geometry of the cave is just completely untextured <laughs> okay. and there's just your laser scanner is simulated as a genuine device so yeah. you scan away and it, and it raycasts and uh, just puts points at all the intersections and so if you scan a, a tree or something you get this lovely big shadow behind it forming yeah. where none of the rays have hit the ground yeah. that extends all the way off into the distance and it's just a wonderful abstract concept and there were other games that were sort of in this genre, if you like. There, right. there had already been, there had been walking simulators by this point. Right. Okay. As like, sort of, you have to just swan a little bit, right? That's right, yeah. So that's a similar concept where you're painting the world, aren't you? And you can't really see the world. Yeah. Um, what, what was the name of that? Um, Gone, Ho Gone Home as well. Right. Um, and just uh, Dear Esther as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of archetypal like walking simulators where you, there isn't, you don't really play a game as such as you kind of explore some sort of mental state right. you know and you kind of feel something while you're playing it you know yeah. so we were kind of we were kind of playing around with that idea you know i was very drawn to it visually 
Like I really loved the visual of it and, and I liked the mechanics of it and I liked how cold and stark it was. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, and we didn't actually, we worked on it, it was, good, it was a nine month project, so it was, it was quite a fast project actually, right. start to finish. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, it, it didn't do great. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't sell very well for obvious, obvious reasons. I think, I think we actually had kind of made a, a, a bargain at the start that we sort of knew this was not going to be prison <laughs> architect level sales. Right, they sure. weren't, we weren't going to be celebrating 4 million sales of this one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but I think even we had hoped for more sure. than we did receive. Yeah. Um, and um, it didn't help either. <laughs> it wasn't a cathartic experience uh, making it. it. It was kind of a, kind of a stressful experience. Um, I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, well, this gets game design, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's always kind of up and down, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, we created a niche game, and of course, you know, yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, here, kind of thing. Well, I mean, like I was saying in part one of all this, you know, when we released Darwinia, I, I, I went into quite a hard shutdown for a while because it, I'd put, I'd put in everything I had into this game, mm. you know, and um, and it really hadn't found a market initially. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I found that pretty tough, to yep. be honest. Found that quite tough. Um, you know, because it is, it is like, it is quite personal. <laughs> right. You know, when you when you make a game and and uh, and nobody wants it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you know, we we do have this track. We do have this track record of trying things, and it doesn't always work. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's something that originally drew you to it. And it's almost like you just can't stop to some extent, even if you probably realize along the way that like this is, you know, yeah, <laughs> this is probably something that's going to be a very very tough sell. Um, but you know, that's it's can't you can't force yourself to be inspired by. Yeah, and we also else. had we had the privilege of being able to do that because yeah, sure. we because we'd had Prison Architect as a huge success. Yeah, um, and so we we felt able to invest some time in this sort of what we considered to be a bit of an art project. Sure, detail. experimental. So mm. now, where are we in the timeline? Um, so uh, Scanner Samba came came out uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. It's five years now, which which is which is a bitter pill for me to swallow, <laughs> <laughs> because you know we haven't shipped a game since. Right. You know, and so you know we're into we're finally into the sort of um, the the current period, the current introversion phase, if you right. like. Yeah. So. Um, we kind of we picked ourselves up from Scanner Samba. We we did we decided not to make the bomb game, mm -hmm. um, because um, we didn't think it was. We didn't have the confidence that we would be able to make it anything more than sort of ten pre-made bomb puzzles, sure, right. one after another. Yeah, yeah, and a, that would right. probably take us two years or something. That's why I've never attempted a puzzle game. You know, yeah. I'm like I can think of maybe five or six, and like. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and we kind of, we, yeah, and I think we kind of, we're, we're yeah, we're more and more drawn to to strongly system driven, yeah. um, strongly simulation driven uh, games, uh, you know, where you have layers of simulation and you have pieces that you can place, the player can place in that world, and they they affect, they affect that simulation, and you just have this huge explosion of possibilities, you know. The possibility space, if you like. Yep. Whereas, you know, if we've made a handful of bombs, 
um, as puzzles, then the possibility space is really very small. Yeah, and um, sure. it just didn't seem to suit. Um, so there wasn't really any appetite to do that. Um, and um, so and there, and so I, I kind of had another idea on the back burner, and which was to do a kind of sort of space um, space mining uh, mm. industry style game, you know? Okay. I was kind of big into Factorio sure. and uh, big into Kerbal Space Program and um, any sort of engineering uh, game like that. So I thought that, that we'll make a game that's all about that. It's going to be some sort of an industrial space mining game, mm. you know? And it's going to be completely system driven and there's been loads of procedural generation, you know, and you're going to be building things. Um, and it was called Order of Magnitude. Okay. That's what it's called. Um, and um, so this is 2018, yep. I think. Um, and so, and that was the first of probably 10 failed prototypes wow. <laughs> that existed between then and now. Were of all, which were... five uh-huh. were space industry mining games. Okay attempts at a space industry mining game so much so that I think Mark never wishes to see <laughs> a space industry mining game which what? sucks to be him because have you ever played off the trading company? have you ever played off the trading company? Yeah. you have? no I haven't but I don't need to see any more space mining what? games from Chris yeah the um uh, so okay so is are you kind of back in um oh I'm blanking on the name of uh What's the, are you back in subversion land, kind of? Like you're chasing a concept and you just can't seem to... Uh, yes. Yes. Know, figure out um, like this what, to, was the, what was the hang We're using Unity this time instead of making yeah. our own tech. Um, but we still didn't have any 3D artists mm-hmm. on the team. Um, and um, we had a big team of people left over from Prison Architect I mean, and didn't really know what direction to take the game in exactly because um, Factorio, for example... Um, Looks like it should be, you know, it looks like you should be able to take the elements of Factorio and recreate them. Sure. But actually, it's a much better game than you realize okay. <laughs> if you think that. Um, and um, we've, we found that we could work on stuff for long periods of time and still not have anything that was any fun to play. We had loads of conveyor belts and pipes and pumps. And, uh, right. What's the, what's the missing ingredients like? I, uh, that is very hard to answer, you know, because I would say that what was missing is that um, there was a real lack of any sort of humanity or warmth in that game. Okay. Um, but Factorio doesn't have any of that and right. gets away with it. But I think Factorio leans fully into the industry and, and is just a pure industry automation right. simulator. But with Order of Magnitude, we were trying to create the idea that you were in charge of a, a lunar colony. Okay. Um, so it was set on you were, you were in the south pole of the moon mm-hmm. uh, and you're kind of in a crater mm-hmm. in the south pole of the moon where there's a lot of frozen ice that's built up over millions of years and that's your water source and that's mm-hmm. your oxygen source and so it's a very sort of viable um, f- near future concept of building a lunar yeah. colony and, it would, and the idea was that it would expand and expand and you would be doing all this industry of like mining the lunar surface for rock and because there's loads of metals and alloys in the rock and there's loads of oxygen on the surface of the moon, just right there in the rock. 
yeah. uh, waiting to be extracted. Um, by, by mass, there's a huge fraction of oxygen on the moon. Um, it's just that it's in, it's in minerals. Yeah. And there's loads of water there as well in the form of frozen ice. Um, so, and, and your colony would grow. So it, was kind of, it would kind of be a factorio game mm-hmm. at the start. Industry and um, economy and um, automation. Right. And then more and more people would, be, would arrive by rocket ship. Right. Um, and, and move it, in, and then it would become, like a, city then it would become kind of... a colony sim, yeah, right? Yeah, and then right. it would start to right. lean towards building a city. And yeah, yeah. Jeez, that sounds yeah. like so that's ambitious. Off-world training company. Yeah, so yeah. It's off, very off, niche. Off-world. Like you, 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 yeah. you know, you're making a niche game. Yeah, right of off course, the of course, yeah. But Factorio is a niche game, but millions yeah. of people love it. Yeah, but you know, Factorio ha- was made what year? I don't know. It's been around a while, maybe 2016, mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, Kerbal Space Program, and how can you get more niche than Kerbal Space Program? You know, you need <laughs> yeah. a degree yeah. level to figure out how to launch. Yeah, it, and, it's, uh, it's, it's a weird phase where the games, which, which, yeah, have a very specific niches, are still selling millions of copies, but that doesn't mean that <laughs> you can just make a bizarro game and it's going to do well, right? It's kind of this. But this, I think all of our games are niche games. Yeah. You know? Mm, Except maybe Prison Architect. Which yeah. is probably the only one that reached a bigger commercial audience. Because you know? there's nothing like it. Yeah. Well, no, no, I don't think so. Because there are other games that there's there's nothing like, and they don't reach such massive but, audiences. But here's the thing: like we, with like Sora and I, uh, we keep talking about these things like every day around the house, and I, I don't know how our kids are gonna grow up to be. I'm not kidding, because <laughs> like we're like constantly talking about these concepts. It's like. What is the game industry? Like, what is it evolving into? Um, um, all games are niche games, sure. Mm. What is niche game? What are, like, a specific type of games? And then... Uh, b- but we go into triple triple A games, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, the things that, you know, everyone everyone wants to buy. But, like, Awful Trading Company is a niche game for a reason. Not everyone wants to play... This type of game that is very much of a, like a game gameplay. Everything is a decision. Mm-hmm. There are no characters. There's no plot. Yeah. Everything is is decision based. Yeah. Half, right? half the screen is basically a spreadsheet. Yeah. 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 One one of our prototypes had had that. It had the trading screen mm-hmm. filled the left of the yep. <laughs> of the screen. It had all the commodities that you needed and. Right. Uh, our, our aim is often to find a niche sure, that we right. can make a game in. I mean, if you consider the alternative, in, you know, if we decide to, to make a AAA game, <laughs> you know, or a, a big commercial uh, game, um, it's it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. Well, and, if you if you don't you know, find a niche, you're making a commodity. Yeah. Right. But all the you're... designs that come out of my head are always, you know, I'm sure you find this too. They're, they're always a certain type of uh, weirdly uh, synthetic slightly cold simulations, you know, of real world stuff that's mm-hmm. occurring. They're always going to be a bit niche, I think. Um, you know, and um, certainly that's how it, that's how it's like an introversion. You know, I think everything, every major idea we've had has been quite niche, mm-hmm. you know, and I still don't, don't really fully understand how prison architects reach so many people, you know. Um, don't you think because of the novelty of it? Because it's yeah. still a very in hindsight, new industry. Right? Yes, in hindsight, I think yeah, because of because of how unusual the topic was, and also it's it's hard to remember. But um, in two thousand and twelve and two thousand and eleven, when we were developing Prison Architect, 
the the Peter Molyneux uh, management game that, mm -hmm. that people now call a colony simulator was yep. really dead. Right? It was mm -hmm. dead. It was done sure. with. There weren't many of them around. Um, there were city building games. Right. And yeah, I was, was going was... to ask because this predates RimWorld would have been kind of developed in parallel with you guys, right? So predates, were you predates RimWorld? Yeah. So were, uh, so were you influ Did you guys play Dwarf Fortress? Yes. So Dwarf Fortress was like the Dungeon Keeper and Dwarf Fortress are kind of like the biggest influences. Okay. But I almost feel like that's silly to say because Dwarf Fortress is clearly influenced by Dungeon Keeper. There's <laughs> like a linear line. Sure, right. You know? Now Dwarf Fortress is like a ridiculous level of complexity in simulation. Right. I mean, I, I, I absolutely loved Dwarf Fortress and I, you know, I did my time playing that game <laughs> yeah. and battling through its numerous interface screens. So um, in 20 years, do you feel like uh, there will be more games about prisons? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good question. Um, because, like, if you if you parallel it to like the movie industry, yeah, you think like, yeah, that would be a thing. It's so weird now. Yeah, I really wonder. You know, someone that they like, yeah, I guess I don't know, a mid-tier publisher. You know, they look at the charts and they're like, hey, here's this game that sold four million copies. We got to get on this bandwagon here. We got to make mm. our own prison game. You know, but at the same time, it's like I still don't see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think what actually happened is that. The prison part is not the part that they all went after. It's the architect part that they all went after. And sure. what actually happened was that genre just lit up again. After, yeah. You know, and suddenly there was RimWorld and there was um, Academia School Simulator and there was um, uh, Rise to Ruin and, you know, just, just a whole bunch of new uh, 2D top-down yeah. uh, colony building simulators popped up out of nowhere. You know, Oxygen Not Included... You know, they're amazing, brilliant games, all of them. That was the bit that that everyone um, recognized as the new massive market, not the prison bit. <laughs> the prison bit was just the magic sauce that we kind of put on yeah. it, you know? I think they're both important, you know? And sometimes that maybe that's the thing that kind of projects yeah. into, like, this, this combination of the two. you hadn't seen, seen before. But, uh, yeah, I think for sure that there were, there were definitely going to be some games that kind of took the... You know, it's Dwarf Fortress is not a commercial product, right? But mm. some, you know, some there were maybe some people who came along and took that and found a way to deliver it to people, even even in a form that's still not super accessible, but still yeah. still at least accessible enough for you know the the Steam audience that was going to succeed. Yeah, and those niches aren't that small anymore. You know, Steam yep. is such a huge marketplace. Yep. If you can find a niche and and be be the king of that niche, I think that's. I mean, Zachtronics is a great example of oh, somebody man. Yeah, that sure. makes games makes um you know programming simulator puzzle games you know that i personally find a little bit too nerdy that's kind of how i felt felt that's about space cam as well where yeah. i was just like wow this is this i love space cam that's amazing this is, game. This is intense i really like opus magnum that one that's the yeah. one that like but my god you know i mean yeah. this like yeah he's found his niche Yep. You know, and he's he's always going to be there, the king of that world. The niche found him. Yeah, that's right, and yeah. so and um, yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the aim, you know, to find that that little group of people that are crazy about your idea. Yeah, you know. So, so we are five years ago with so that you, game. Moved, mm. Have you moved on? You've moved on then from the space mining game. Not really, no. <laughs> 
that's the next game that we'll make. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not entirely true. So what we actually did is we so we, we made a whole bunch of prototypes, like I was explaining, and and, and um, quite a lot of them had this common theme of being uh, set in space and often with an industrial um, uh, automation element. Um, sometimes with a colony of people, sometimes not. Um, and we did some other games as well that, that riffed on Factorio. Um, they did seem to all have some common themes, and in it, I kind of oh, did almost give up a couple of times actually. But I kept coming back, and I kept coming back to try and make this mythical space game that I had in my head, you know, that I couldn't really fully verbalize exactly what it was. Um, and I managed to convince Mark that we should do and we should do some sort of public exploration of all of these failed prototypes. Uh -huh. um, and so we decided that we were going to make what eventually became called the Crystal A Fail Masterclass. <laughs> and it was going to be a kind of um, a tour through all of these prototypes that we'd made. Because they'd been going for four years oh. trying to make the next introversion game. I like, yeah. try and make the, uh, the seventh introversion game, you know, and just coming out a blank again and again. And, and, um, and I felt like we had to, we had to clear this out of the way, you know? Uh -huh. So we started making one video a month again, just uh -huh. like the old PA glory days. Um, and we started, um, we released all of them. So we actually packaged up these prototypes and, um, and once a month you would get the new prototype that had been made and abandoned uh -huh. and you'd get a video of us explaining it and talking about it. Where do you yeah. release that that video? And uh, if you go to yeah, go to YouTube and look on our introversion software YouTube. You channel. don't have a Discord. We don't have a Discord. Uh, we do have a Discord, but we don't really use it very much. Okay. Um, what's a good link to send them to? Yeah. Because like, so hear hear me out, okay? For anyone who's gonna download this, please take this into into consideration. Uh, we've hired so many people into our company from discord hmm, really from our community <laughs> modders people who came with ideas like we, we found like some are of our, of our most brilliant designers on discord yeah yeah that might be something that we're we're we, had, we definitely have blind spots you know in terms of where we do connecting to the community and promotion and things you know we definitely um you know, we, we, we have Twitter and Facebook and we do all of those things, but we're not really naturals at it. We're not really people, we're not YouTubers, you know. The communities congregate in, in odd ways for different reasons, different times. I would assume Prison Architect was probably a big Reddit game. There was that... some big Reddit threads about it, definitely. It definitely had a subreddit devoted to it. And we did some Aspiany things on there as well that right. were always very popular. Yeah. And it just yeah. seems like today... People seem to prefer going to the Discord first. If like there's, I think if there's a huge community on Reddit, it'll maintain itself. But but people kind of prefer to find stuff on Discord. For, right. Chris, what is your uh, Twitter handle? It's Ivy Software. Mm, can you please spell it? I V S O F T W A R E. And Mark. Ivy. Software. I'm gonna follow yeah. you. Yeah. And uh, what is the studio's uh, handle? Uh, that is the studio's okay. Twitter also, account. As well, yeah, it's, it's one on one. No, no, it's all through him. So you you said you you made these videos and you released the demos. So yeah. Download them. Yeah. So we did this film masterclass. We did nine parts of the film masterclass, and we definitely. 
um, went over these things in excruciating detail. And I personally found it very cathartic, actually. And I found, you know, I stopped thinking of them in quite such negative terms, like mm -hmm. they'd just been this time sink, you know. Um, no, and I was happy that they were out there. Sure. And, I, and also the process of talking them through as well with Mark had helped me to figure out, you know, that it was they really were doomed games. Like they had, they, they all had critical failures in some form or another. Where the, we had we had failed to recognize some element of the game that was never going to resolve. Um, and you know, they're all there in great detail about why each one went that way. But some of them were more popular than others. Um, and there was definitely a couple of space game um, prototypes that were very popular. Mm -hmm. And the YouTube comments on them were just full of people saying like, this is amazing. I want to play it. I want to play it. You know, I want to I see this finished. I want to see this done. Um, and, the, you know, the caveats were still there that they still had these serious problems. Um, but it kind of clicked probably two or three of the games that are in that fail masterclass kind of clicked together in my head. Mm -hmm. It's like, kind of like a, a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of this blended together. Mm -hmm. And because we'd experimented with this idea that there was this catastrophic disaster in space that had occurred right. um, called a vacuum collapse, which is a sort of um, a physics process whereby space itself collapses in an in a ever-expanding bubble mm -hmm. that expands at light speed and consumes everything and can never be stopped. Um, it's a wonderfully dark concept. And then we experiment, experimented with the idea that you would be involved in the mass evacuation of anyone that lived in that part of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. So there would be all these people living on all these planets, and it would really be like the edge of humanity. Like, right. It's not Earth and Mars and the sort of glorious home sector. This is the edge, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of light years from Earth. Um, and so by extension, it's kind of the poorest place in the galaxy. And it's kind of... And everyone that lives there can't just afford to hop on a, a cruise liner and and uh, hyperspace back to Earth because there happens to be a natural disaster occurring nearby. Mm -hmm. um, and so as a result of all of that, um, criminal gangs would move in to exploit the situation mm -hmm. and start um, charging extortionate amounts of money um, to evacuate people. And... Um, Criminality would become suddenly well. Everything, everything here is going to be destroyed in a month's time. So, what does it mean if I steal something, you know, or if I commit mm. crime or whatever? Um, the entire structure of society is essentially collapsing as a result of this um, anomaly that's occurring and expanding. Um, you know, and that's a that's a great concept that that we loved, um, and when combined with the mechanics of building a spaceship right, and, and being involved in the engineering of a spaceship, the construction of it, the hiring of a crew, and then bringing people on board your spaceship and thinking, ah, my spaceship's full. I don't have any space left on my spaceship. Mm. So I need, I'm going to need another spaceship. And this other spaceship is going to have to be even bigger and it's going to have to house even more people. And now suddenly I have this huge demand for um, supplies and food and water and oxygen. Um, and those things are currently running at a thousand percent their usual price because this is a this is a complete um, societal breakdown. Mm -hmm. um, um, you played from like a first person. No, so this is a so this this all became the game that we're now working on. 
right. which is called The Last Starship. Mm -hmm. um, and all of these elements that I've been talking to you about make up the core of this game. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, and so it looks like you're looking at your ship from a top-down view, um, and it's a 2D-based game. Right. And the ships themselves are very much a simulated um, colony in their own right, with sure. its own engineering. The engines and the reactors and the uh, life support systems are all powered systems that require resources, and all the piping and cabling is all up to you, the player. Where do they um, exist? What planet? You're not on a planet, so there isn't, okay. there isn't any one place that you can stop at for long enough. Okay. There is a map of the area, and the, the vacuum collapse anomaly is expanding, always. And so you can go and visit um, space stations and star bases that are right on the edge of this anomaly. How can you get resources? You can buy them. So, How? Uh, so well, that's a very interesting who, question. Who are you trading with? Right? The people that live there. Okay. So um, you're still a functioning spaceship, and there are still things to be done in that area. So, for example, um, in this, in the, in the themes of this world, all of these ships, when they jump to hyperspace, need fuel, and that fuel that makes that gives them the ability to jump to hyperspace is a very expensive, because that's how you escape with right. your life, and that fuel is made by mining asteroid belts in the area for rare resources. So the process of mining an asteroid belt for the precursors that can be made into fuel is very profitable because everybody suddenly wants good. vast wants, quantities yeah. of hyperspace fuel. So it's an economy based? So there's an economy. But it's a very, very warped economy because um, the closer you go to the vacuum collapse, the more desperate people are. Um, there is a... You know, and there are lists of uh, missions and contracts available at every starbase, which boil down to people desperately trying to get off the planet. They'll pay anything. They'll pay any amount of money. They'll give you all these resources that they have available. What are you know? those resources? Things like oxygen, food, okay. water. Aluminium. Metals to repair okay. your ship. Right. Absolutely. Um, the criminal element that I mentioned that's there, exploiting it, requires defense. So your ship will eventually, if you... If you fly around completely unarmed and defenseless, right. you'll be robbed. And they'll steal all your hyperspace fuel, and they'll steal all your oxygen at gunpoint. Um, I mean, is there, is there money? Yeah. Like, does it, but doesn't money break down if the world's ending? It devalues, like currency, currency it devalues extremely it quickly. Trade, right? It devalues, yeah. So trade, so if you, um, if you stop off at one starbase, and sell a load of minerals for uh, 100,000 credits. Mm -hmm. um, half an hour later, those 100,000 credits are barely worth anything yeah. because there's rampant inflation occurring yeah. all around the evacuation zone because um, the price of commodities has gone through the yeah. roof. So there the most important thing in, the, in this world is to survive not, or to transport? Not really. So thematically, you're actually a science vessel at the beginning of the game. You're a small science vessel. Um, and you kind of have a Star Trek-esque mission to investigate this anomaly. It's all the way on the edge of civilization, so Earth doesn't really care about this. It's 100 light years away. Even if it expands at light speed, which we don't yet know that it does, it's still 100 years away. Right. So they don't really care. They just want to know what it is. Mm -hmm. And so you're not even a kind of massive science expedition. You're just like some little university has decided to send an expedition to this curious anomaly. Yeah. Um, so you go there in a science ship, which is really kitted out for 
a small team of like five scientists to do some sensors, sensor work. But then when you arrive there, you start realizing that there's this enormous evacuation underway um, and uh, there's a huge humanitarian crisis underway um, and you are going to need to seriously upgrade your ship in order to be of any assistance and also to help the scientists back Earth figure out what to do about this. Mm-hmm. You're just going to need more and more resources and that's going to cost money and time. And so you inevitably, well, the missions and contracts and the, other, and the opportunities are there available for you. It is possible to make money and it is possible to raise a crew and it is possible to take people on board your ships. And then it's possible to expand your fleet until you start having multiple ships that perform different functions. Um, And so you end up with a kind of small ragtag fleet traveling away from this anomaly. And, you know, that's a bit of a Battlestar Galactica reference Mm. because that was one of the touchstones for us, that you would be this kind of fleet on the run. Right. and, you, you know, as it is what, what you say is true. If you run out of fuel, you die. So you can't ever run out of fuel. So at like the most basic level, you have to ensure that you always have a supply of fuel. Well, fuel now costs a million credits per pop because right. everybody wants it. So there aren't fuel stations on the way. Yeah, but they're empty okay. because every hyperspace ship that went through drained them of all the fuel they had. Because um, they wanted to make sure they had enough fuel to never run into the situation of running yeah, out. So if a fuel, there's an enormous fuel crisis. Yeah. First thing that happens. Mm-hmm. So you you have you're really going to have to start making your own fuel um, from the minerals that are available in the asteroid belts. But you're not the only people that have had that idea. And so these criminal elements and also other people who are just trying to financially exploit the situation have already Do you camped. have like celebrities who are trying to be celebrities and like oh we don't need you actually in the, that type of the world yeah see so we <laughs> don't currently have that but we have been talking about the idea of uh, what if you show up at a planet and um there's a thousand there's a, a thousand people that want to come on board right. um or there's um one rich billionaire who will pay you mm. half the money that sure. he has yeah, you can to take some, him on board you yeah. can some right. because yeah. you need that money yeah. You know, and um, you know the, those commodities. You need that morale too. Yeah, and again, as with the earlier games, we're, we're not really interested in telling you what route to take through this game. Right. You actually don't need to take any of these missions on. Like this is this you know? is a question for one, two, three, four people here. <laughs> I think are if Elon Musk is with you on, a, you, you feel like safer regardless. <laughs> He's been pitching all of his money to just be on the spaceship because smarter people have thought of all the crazy ways you can escape a a survival, whatever. And uh, you feel like, oh, okay, if he's here, Mm -hmm. I'm safe. Isn't that weird? You might do, but then your 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 crew might take issue with the fact that you just left a hundred people behind because you wanted Elon Musk's I'm an money. Goddammit! You know? I just want, I need Elon Musk. And Elon Musk's cabin is as large as the uh, space that would have been sure. taken by a hundred bunk beds. You know, because he wants to live in some minimum standard of style. Um, no. You know? <laughs> no well, he wouldn't come on board if if he didn't have a reasonable standard cabin. He would oh, go on the next ship. Right. And like the next the ship would have a decent cabin. And the one who refuses for him to have, like, the luxurious thing. Yeah. Well, if you don't take him on board, then someone <laughs> else will. Yeah. You know? So that's your choice, isn't it? You're going to take yeah. that opportunity. 
be kind of funny to oh. run into him later. I want to go break your game on now. With, I don't know if you guys have, you know, you see persistent ships that, you know, you run into earlier and run into later, but yeah. Yeah, so we do, we're, you know, we're still, we're not even in at Alpha yet, so yeah, sure. we're still developing a lot of systems. But we have this fleet. So is it fair to say to people who are listening, Elon Musk is not yet on that spaceship? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. But if you're listening, Elon, <laughs> get in you touch. You better get in there. Please don't be a snob. Yeah, let us know what you want to do. We'll put you in the game. You know, We'll, we'll save a, a place for Grimes as well. Yes, and you know. two babies. <laughs> exactly. And X1. X and Y. Two, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, all, all of that interesting stuff. I think quite interesting. You know, you have these different types of people that are in that in that place. Right. You know, and so it is. It does have an element of where I started, which is you know, let's make a game about industrialization and mining of space. Right. Well, here we are with a real need to industrialize and mine space mm -hmm. uh, in order to, to produce because we're not going to be able to buy water soon because all the water has been taken. But there's huge ice. Um, asteroids floating around. There are huge ice comets that we can mine into and break off all the ice and we can put that through an industrial factorial process to turn it into drinking water. And there we've solved our drinking water problem for a while. Yeah. Um, and the same is true of everything else, making our own food. The, the, the concept of becoming a self-sufficient fleet, yeah. a completely self-internally survivable fleet that could just live forever traveling through space. Mm. stopping off asteroid belts now and then to pick up more resources that are just the beginning of the industrial process. Let me mm. pause that an idea. Um, so, mm. you know, you, you're, you've said humans. This is all humans, not aliens. That's right. right? Yeah. So, okay. It, it, the, talk, the talk about race before with Prison Architect kind of puts something in my mind that, like, I'm thinking about the dilemmas you could face. Yeah. And, like, I don't think I, don't think I would want to do that i wouldn't do this you know with races but the same way star trek used different aliens as like a stand-in for different races so mm -hmm. they could discuss racial issues without having to actually yeah you know deal with the consequences it seems like there could be a lot of really good dilemmas that could come up where you have a couple different alien races uh you know that they're going along with you and when they stop off different planets of course they're gonna have preference for who they take with depending upon the you know the aliens on that planet whether they are the same or they have this antipathy for them or mm -hmm. whatever and you know any sort of you know this is sort of what stuff like religion how, what it does in civ it just gives a specific reason why someone in the game would want you to do x instead of y yeah right um, yeah that's right absolutely I think that's all. I think those are all really interesting areas that we hope to explore. Yeah, <laughs> you know. What is the name of that movie? The Snow. Snowpiercer. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's just like the same oh, idea, right? Yeah, like, they're like continued going around. It's and like I, a class thing, isn't it? You have the right, idea yeah. that you have different classes of people. Yes, yeah. you know, class but, is another but, great one. But to work the question on. is, why did they keep on going? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Or why did you die if you didn't? Why? I don't I can't remember the theme of that movie. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I, yeah. I don't either. Like, it's so strange. Why they, did they keep on going? The train worked, so they just kept on the train. I don't know. It, 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 Wasn't there a weather effect or something that would mean they would that all freeze to death? That doesn't work for games industries. Mm. Like I, I want to know why. Like why are they keep on going? What, what if what happens if they stop? I think they get buried in snow. 
Mm. Do you think? Right, yeah. Staircase, and they get, I think yeah. that's the... Yeah, that's right. They thank they God get, for yeah. the marks in they the world. buried in snow. Shouldn't the tracks be buried in yeah, snow? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't, well, don't think massive. about it too don't much. Don't think too much, yeah. yeah. Who clears the tracks? Never mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to some extent, you're right at what you're getting at. The, the concept of a, a vacuum collapse expanding is is really only of interest to the most nerdiest of the nerdy. Right. Um, and it's really just kind of a, it's like a sort of a vehicle, you know? Right. It's like a, it's a motivator. It's, it means that no area is going to remain static. Sure. And it's like a huge disrupting factor yeah. in what would otherwise be a pretty quiet corner of the galaxy. Sure. Well, I, I, it, I've always been interested in what would happen, you know, if you know, society fell apart because like, I mean, I guess when I was asking about currency, like I wonder if how, how fast it would move to some sort of barter system mm. where, because people don't, don't trust yeah. currency enough that uh, the, the story, one story popped in my head, we visited Argentina and they had horrible inflation problems in I think the eighties. And some of the people might have told stories about how, you know, they would be, be in the supermarket, pick up an item, go on the way to um, buy it, and the, there would be a person in the store with a like a, a, a price sticker trying to like s- like change the price of the item yeah. between when they picked it up from the shelf and, and they the got it to the to the, the check in. You know, like it was yeah. like the prices were going up that quickly. Yeah, and yeah. you know they're like you gotta you know avoid the, <laughs> the person changing yeah. the price as, as you go, and you know that type of like world. I mean, it's it's just interesting about like the the you know a lot of the stuff that makes society work are just stuff we all share and assume is going to keep working even though yeah, if, it, take if, for it, granted. if it stopped we would very much change the way we live so. yeah chris do you have kids i do have kids yeah i have two boys yeah they're eight and ten ah! called leon and elliot we have <laughs> they're some of our first play testers twins <laughs> who are 10 years old oh we have like kids who are already making games of their own and yeah mm. uh, we are their testers yeah <laughs> it's not fun yeah <laughs> don't tell them don't tell them they don't this. listen to designer notes yeah we actually have a little uh, uh, a secret published list of of uh, pico 8 and tick 80 video games that are largely their creation actually oh, that's cute. they've oh. kind of done all the art for them and done all the music for them and everything and I, I kind of do the programming <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we have something like this on discord with our kids uh, and their friends and they're trying to recruit us for being publishers slash designers programmers yeah. and they pitch the ideas to us and they're on discord creating art and uh, <laughs> this, like, this cute game about lobster hats it's really fun yeah. <laughs> that sounds fantastic <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll publish it <laughs> Mark are you interested <laughs> we'll talk online yes 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 that's kind of cool so th- does this bring us to where you are at that's now? pretty much where we are now yeah I think yeah. that was the this is the, the missing ingredient is the kind of the combination of all of it you know the thing that was missing in the earlier prototypes is the industrialization and mining of an asteroid belt for no purpose right you know, Why? yeah sure. was, was not interesting enough to us and didn't feel like a good enough motivator yeah. really to the player but the because the mo- you kind of want the motivation to be kind of intrinsic and in, as, as the player is playing it's like I don't really want to tell them to go to an asteroid belt and mine it I kind of want them to realize that that's one of the ways that they can solve their current problem right sure. and then the game supports that by selling them a phenomenally expensive mining laser or something but in right. order to buy that they have to go and do something else first you yeah know? and now we have a game you know, and it makes such a difference, actually, having that um, having that motivation in the player's mind, and, and but you still have that lovely feeling um, that you had in Prison Architect of 
of slowly building, you know, from the, from the smallest little science ship that you start with. It's pretty crappy, really. And you end up with this pretty large fleet by the end of, it's kind of like, you've got defenses and you've got kind of garden ships and you've got passenger vessels and things and they're all, they all have a different purpose and they all have a different thing going on in each of them, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be presumptuous, but from like, I, you know, I'm the narrative, I'm on the narrative side of, of you know, where I'm at in my, my life. I'm thinking, can I sacrifice a celebrity and then I can start my own religion? <laughs> You're like, still thinking about Elon yes, Musk, aren't you? Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And like, you know, like I'm also thinking of like narrative. Like the thing that, that, that it, it's crazy for me, it's a, it's a whole thing for me. If I'm ever going to have a career in this, in this industry, it's going to always be history slash uh, religion. And it's like religion. Religion fascinates me because it's like okay. Well, if I sacrifice Elon Musk and I convince a whole group of people that this is for like a, a good reason, will the morale <laughs> go up? You know, well, it's for a good reason. Right. Train like, tracks, yeah, train tracks yeah, diagram. hundred people. Yeah. Elon Musk. <laughs> yes, and, uh, and then we start the religion, and then God spoke to me, and then we have a whole thing, and then we start the religion off world. Mm. Right? Does that exist in your world? It does not exist. You in don't the game. have religion. Not yet. Can I be Abraham? But we're only uh, we're not that far into the game yet, and we're you okay. know we're hoping to go into a similar. You know, right. a, a extensive process with this yeah. game because I, I will, know. I will, I will like volunteer like like religious <laughs> ideas because it has to exist. You have yeah. to believe in some type of a well, especially religion. under that circumstance. Actually, yeah. I can and take like Asak or Isaac or Ashak and and sacrifice him on yeah. the you know mount and start yeah. my own religion or Elon Musk if everybody's just votes on it, whatever. I mean, to be honest, we we thought that some of the ideas that you were talking about today about the um your kind of um, accidental story generation system right. that you created <laughs> actually yeah. seemed to make a lot of sense to us, you know, we, because we kind of didn't really want to create a fixed story with yeah. a linear series of story beats for all the reasons that we've talked about yep. in the last 16 hours. Yep. You know? <laughs> yep. And um, actually the, the idea of having a kind of um, a, a pool of story events that have like a preconditions yep. and then a, a, some story content that change the world... Yep. And, and like a choice to make yeah, you know, it, that's it, some pretty cool stuff actually that seems to fit quite nicely yeah it works surprisingly well it just uh, <laughs> it just needs a lot of you just need to keep working on the events you know it's one of these yeah. things where it was like it was okay and then just got slowly better and better the more you cover all mm. the possibilities right so. well this one you talk about this idea oh can I just like totally invade your world and introduce <laughs> this type of crap into yeah. your whole like you know? Yeah, you, you could you could write two thousand events for our game. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many were there? How many was it? Three thousand. Three thousand. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's insane. I don't think I'm ready for that, but I can definitely create like a hundred and fifty events where they're inspired by dystopian slash what can happen one- because like it's offward slash. Whatever yeah. you know, I played like a thousand some hours of. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm probably, I probably sort of repeating myself from the talk, but I guess I'll probably say here one of the nice things about events also is like, yeah, there's three thousand events. It sounds like a lot, but you know, it really meant just we're every month maybe we made a hundred events and you just 
keep adding, but it doesn't really make the game more complex yeah. Yeah. or harder for the player. That's true. It just adds, adds We're variety. We're literally adding quantity yeah. because it's it, at this point, quantity is quality. Well, honestly, it's, 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 it solves a problem. And the problem is that, 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 that a game of this sort can be a little bit on the cold side. Right. You know, it can be a bit cold and inhuman. You know, if you because if you don't have any reason to engage with the people on board your ship, for example, um, or you don't really see the people on the planet before the planet is destroyed. Right. Um, I mean, so, something like that is what I would call like a sort of a flavor, you know, system that goes into the world and makes you realize yeah. that it's a bigger it's a bigger thing than just yeah. the simulation. You know? Yeah, a flavor is like when someone comes on board the ship and goes like. According mm. to scripture, <laughs> yeah. Well, we used to we used to think about we used to think about what you would fly through a sector and uh, your chief engineer would tell you that their family are living on that planet, right? Sure. Down there on the map, yeah. Okay. And that's a mission, basically, in to use a gameplayism, but it's also a kind of moral conundrum because um, venturing all the way down there might be at the expense of rescuing all the people that are up there. Yeah. But this is your chief engineer. Um, and, and if you tell them no, yeah. um, then their family will be annihilated and they will, um, that will have a result on your chief engineer. And what if, according to scripture, you're not supposed <laughs> to be saving them? <laughs> yeah, you could try that. <laughs> you could say that to them. Um, it's, it's God's will that that yeah. uh, planet is annihilated. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, and so, but that's, an, that's, a, that's a nice, meaty, unwinnable choice. You know, in that you and you only really have one of the two outcomes, because in the value of your chief engineer is that your entire fleet continues to operate. Um, so, is is their family a small number of people? What is their value uh, to you as compared to all the civilians living in another uh, planet that have no value to you directly? Um, all interesting things to be explored, you know. And I think also just the idea of. Um, you know, video games just don't go near the idea of a refugee crisis. You know, right. never. Sure. It's just not done, and yep. they just—it's just all hero stuff. It's all just kind of, um, you know, it's all on a much lighter level. Sure. You know, and I, I think that it's a topic that's a very interesting topic to explore. Yeah. You know, um, but it's all in development, and so, <laughs> you know, all of this is up in the air, and it keeps changing what's in the game. Sure. Um, Okay. But cool. it's it's looking it's it's exciting. It's exciting it. stuff. Are you gonna yeah. go into refugee sub refugee or refugee refugee? Like is it gonna be like white people being like out there in the world and they're all refugees? Don't know or like yet. you're gonna have like sub dilemmas where like oh we're the white people on this ship and you're yeah. not the white people on this ship and then you're gonna I have don't, sub I, I don't know the answer to that. that yeah. I'd, I'd have to I'd have to think about that for a week yeah, and then I can give you and then talk advice. to Mark about it for for a twelve oh, Mark, hours. I can talk to Mark yeah. right now. He's like yeah. sitting on my bed. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're gonna need some way I mean we've been circling around this, but you're gonna need a, some way of separating out different types of people, you know? Yeah. Whether it's by classes yeah. or Again, race is tough, so maybe think of aliens. But like, it seems like like there's a lot of there's a lot of knobs there. Or it could be it could be religious belief, right? It could just yeah. be belief, right? I think, I think science fi- I, I think mean, science fiction yeah, has always religion. been very good at it. Actually, yeah, race, at, um, sadly, at, yeah, science fiction has always been very good at, le- at letting you explore essentially real world issues yep. dressed up in yep. science fiction clothing. But it is really no different. Yep. Um, it, it, mechanically speaking. I mean, video games are brilliant at doing this sort of thing, though. You know, they are quite unique at being able to 
drop the player into these sorts of situations rather than just watching a program about a topic, you yeah. know, or watching a film about a topic. Yeah. You know, video games make you do it. And I just think that just resonates on like a whole different level, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we should end it here yeah, so I can say whatever well, I want to say. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about other things. But um, uh, if we tried to, you know, we, I asked you this before, but it feels like I might ask you it again just in case it, you know, provokes different things. So, mm. you know, you've made, we made through the whole 20 years of your career or more, I guess, 20 plus. Yeah. You know, why does this all matter to you? You know, why, why is this what you keep oh, doing over and over again? And you sort of um, can't stop. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just what I do. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a raving egomaniac, I guess. I just like making. <laughs> I just like making games that are like peculiar, nerdy power fantasies, you know, but expressed in a strange way. I don't know. It's just I just I've always loved games, and I've always loved the mechanics of games, um, and um, I love the process of making them. You know, even though you know for quite a few years after. Prince and Architect and Scanner Sombra, I didn't really love the process of making them at all, actually. I kind of hated it, yeah. actually. I really considered giving up. Um, and Because uh, it's quite it's, it's, tough it's, to follow something like Prison Architect. Yeah, I would say it's odd that you identify that, because you have a, you've had your ups and downs, that it's odd you identify that specific period of time, because that was actually the period of your greatest success. Yeah, yeah, but why I think... Why do you care, Chris? I think if you... Why what? Why do you care? Why do I care? Yeah, it's like every every game you described mm. while I've like kind of lived with you throughout this podcast has been phenomenal. Mm. I, I don't know. What, <laughs> what, what do you mean, why do I care? Why do you care? How, like, like, why do you compare them? It's like they're all your babies, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just didn't know whether I wanted to make more of them or not, you know? I mean, the thing about after something like Prison Architect, quite a, lot of the, quite a lot of those prototypes suffered the fate of being compared to Prison Architect. Sure. You know, so now you have this thing. two months in, I would I look at I, it and go like... I know I can make this. Yeah. So... I would look at it and I'd go, well, this isn't the best game I've ever made. So I may as well <laughs> delete it now, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, no game can, can really withstand the years that went into Prison Architect when it's in its prototype phase, you know? But Prison Architect was a particularly wonderful experience, yeah. you know, and it did, it really did feel like it kind of designed itself at times. And it was, it, you know, I'm not going to say it was effortless, but sure. um, it was always interesting and fun and it was never kind of deeply frustrating. And a lot of the prototypes were, you know, I feel it felt like working for months on end to get something really quite minimal to work. Um, so... You know, I don't really know how to answer the question. It's just kind of, it's just kind of what I just feel motivated to do, you know, to to try and make more more of these things. Um, and you know, I wish I had a better answer. Actually, <laughs> I wish I'd prepared an amazing answer, some, some insightful. People, um, yeah, some people that's their answer. Like they just feel compelled. Like they yeah. can't. They're basically like, I can't stop. I would say compelled. Yeah, compulsion is the right. <laughs> possibly the right word actually it captures something of the negativity of it as well as the positivity of it yeah you know um, yeah, it's worth acknowledging you know 
And like I said, I tried to apply for jobs, you know, and, I, and nobody <laughs> would hire me, so I can't do anything well, else. Yeah, everyone, we're going to have yeah. like a, a, an application. Please fill it out if you're interested in hiring Chris at the end of this yeah, podcast. I'm unhirable at this point. <laughs> so before, before we wrap it up, when I was uh, coming into the room where Soren and Chris were having this uh, podcast, getting ready for everything, uh, I heard Chris and Soren talking about like uh, bands and music and Chris talking about being uh, playing a guitar. Mm-hmm. So I just want to ask you about that part of your world. <laughs> so you play the guitar. And yes. Talk about that part of your world. Yeah, I do. Yep, yeah, I play guitar. I play guitar in a heavy rock band called Planet Fatal. And um, you can look us up. We're a touring, touring originals rock band. You're oh, touring. So we, yeah, we tour. We play oh. all around the place. I, I played. I played three gigs in a row. Uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Um, this like this... yeah, before and then on and then on Monday morning, I flew to San Francisco. Wow! <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. Uh, to be honest, it's not a good idea. I don't recommend that. <laughs> you know, it's a really stupid idea. And you play you know? the guitar or the bass? Yeah, I play electric guitar. Okay. Um, we're a five-piece band: two guitars and uh, drums and bass and uh, singer. And it's really good how, fun. How long have you been doing this? About three years. Um, yeah, and it was, um, it's been, it's been really good fun. And I really, I really wanted to do something in my life that was, um, nothing to do with video games. <laughs> Absolutely. As far away as I could get from video game design and production. Um, and, um, you know, playing, playing music was it. So I've always, I've always played guitar. I've played guitar since I was a, a teenager. Um, but it's all, it was always just for me, you know? Mm-hmm. But I kind of just decided that that, that would be really different. Um, and I think there's a, real, uh, there's a real merit in having something in your life that's, that's an escape, you know? So that's, that's my escape, you know? Because this relates to the period, you know, the long period of, you know, since Scanasomba. We have, it's been five years now. Um, and, you know, honestly, I feel like Planet Fatal has been a bit of a coping mechanism for me, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> a bit of something else to look forward to that's um, not video games, you know, and isn't computers and isn't software. Yeah. Um, and it's actually much more kind of like performance on stage in front of a live audience, which is really not an introversion thing, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, what is it, what is it called in Myers-Briggs? Your shadow self or something like this concept that there's... Hmm. The opposite side of you is yeah. is potentially actually a, a major part of your character, but you don't tend to go anywhere near it, you yeah. know? So it's like a really outward-facing thing, you yeah. know? I've had random thoughts before about, specifically about being a musician, in, in terms of, like, you know, I've been working on game design skill my whole life, yeah. and it's just like, you know... It feels like it'd be nice if I could show it off at parties, you know, mm. like, hey, you're good at making yeah. games. Can you just, can you make a game for us right now? Oh, yeah. You know, whereas, you know, like someone who's like a great pianist is like, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, yeah. You, know, you know, play some music a little bit. And everyone's like, oh, that's really nice. Thanks for adding that. You know, like game design is not like that's that at right, all. Yeah. We had no option for live no. performance. So, so what do you do then? Oh, I design video games. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>